ButcherBox makes it easy and convenient to get the highest quality grass-fed, grass-finished beef, organic free-range chicken, heritage breed pork, and wild-caught seafood without any antibiotics or added hormones delivered straight to your door. For me, I love their ribeye steak with a smoke and reverse sear, their tender belly bacon, which is some of the best uncured bacon on planet Earth. ButcherBox partners with people, small farmers included, that treat their animals in the best possible way and never give any added antibiotics or hormones. When you join, you choose your box and delivery frequency. You can cancel at any time without any penalty, and ButcherBox delivers amazing and fresh meat right to your door in a 100% recyclable box. For a limited time only, get free chicken nuggets for a year and 10% off your first box when you sign up today and use the code WP. That's a 22-ounce bag of gluten-free organic chicken nuggets in every order for a year when you sign up at butcherbox.com forward slash WP and use the code WP. Western Contours Podcast, sharing experiences, providing insight, and looking for solutions to become better hunters. We talk gear, on and off season preparation, tips and tactics, conservation, and finding inspiration in the outdoors as sportsmen and women. Thank you for joining us as we share our love for all things Western hunting. Proud to share this episode thanks to these fine companies I depend on in the field. Game Changer Calls. The GC was designed with all hunting callers in mind. Though elk is the intended target, the unique size is a game-changing tool for turkey and coyote callers as well. It is not designed to replace your tube or open reads, but rather to complement the caller's repertoire in the field. Burris Optics. Find what matters. Proudly made in the USA. Hoffman Boots. If you're heading to the backcountry and you need some meals that won't bog you down, check out SasquatchFuel.com. 100% compostable packaging was designed to combat litter in the backcountry. The pack system for all your scenarios, initial ascent, expect more and never settle. Titanium Archery Products. Dedicated archers deserve truly unique products that provide all the performance attributes that they demand. And that's exactly what TAP delivers. Western Fly Covers. Ultralight element protection for your gear. Stay on your game. For more brands we run and trust, jump on westerncontours.com partners page. Look for the code Western Contours and save a few dollars off your order. I don't usually preface it episode uh, but here I am over the last few weeks we've seen how under attack our way of life is uh, it's great to see everyone come together and speak out but you can't win a marathon if your only effort comes in the last mile when the crowd is around cheering and it got real loud here lately I have to admit my complacency and or sitting back on my laurels in the fight to preserve this love of ours. And first and foremost, I apologize for that. Uh, it's pretty important to me to spread the message of conservation, of hunting. And recent events were a wake-up call for me. Uh, and not just my arrogance and complacency in looking for ways that 
I could be proactive and kind of sitting back as if something wasn't happening in the background when it comes to the fight uh, that we have. But honestly, across our demographic, we need action. And in action, I mean real action, right? How does that look in this landscape? Looking for ways to spread why hunting isn't this barbaric pursuit, uh, you know, fueled by a bloodlust or trophy hunting um, or sharing enough of how hunting and sound management has positive effects on the landscape, how it affects the flora and the fauna. Um, Conservation and action in conservation cannot be a fad. It can't be a hot trend um, because social is blowing up with it. If we're to see this continue, our action needs to be to have resolve all the time across state lines, reaching out, making the phone calls. Uh, And not to say that there aren't a ton of people doing that. And again, my complacency and arrogance in that has me reflecting on the effect that I have, I could have, I didn't have. So anyhow, more than ever, we need to be vigilant. We need to be more than passive conservationist, a t-shirt, a yearly subscription, a, I bought a tag and filled the freezer excuse is no I don't, I shouldn't even say it's no longer good enough. It hasn't been good enough for a long time, but I think with recent events, it's, it's more loud and clear, at least in my head, that that is the thing of the past. So just to preface it, uh, get rolling into myself and Brian Lynn talking about sportsman's Alliance and some of the uh, stuff in front of us. Enjoy the episode guys. So we're on with Mr. Brian Lynn with Sportsman's Alliance. Brian, thank you, man. I appreciate you jumping on, taking the time. Fit me in the schedule, man. I'm, you've had a flurry of these over the last couple of weeks, I'm sure. Yeah, no, thank you very much. You know, it's always good to get out there and talk about this stuff and let people know what's going on. So more than happy to come on anytime. Yeah. So give us a give us a little background on the man, man. Talk about uh, that hunting and outdoor life. And um, you, you have wow, you have an extensive career in the outdoor industry. So I won't delve into that too much, uh, but just give us a little background, man. What What's your passion? What makes you tick, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I grew up here in, in Washington state and, uh, you know, learned to start hunting and fishing with my stepdad when I was about no 10 or so. And, you know, somehow I just fell into this, you know, in, in this industry, I was planning on being a cop and, uh, ended up being an editor of a small, uh, Texas magazine. And then from there, within a year, I jumped to, uh, ESPNoutdoors.com when that launched and helped build that. And from there, I went to Outdoor Life magazine and, uh, was senior editor there. And, you know, I've done a whole bunch of other stuff with television and, uh, freelance writing and whatever else in the industry for the last two, 20, 21 years now. Uh, 
You know, I love it all. I, you know, everything has its own kind of appeal and and something else, you know, whether it's big game and patience and, you know, physically testing yourself and going against the elements and everything else, or if it's bird hunting and working with the dogs, which is something that I, you know, really got into at ESPN running the sporting dog section and training and stuff. So, you know, love that. And, you know, just uh, always had a passion for for that kind of stuff as well as uh you know doing what's right and you know i can be a little argumentative now and then i've been accused of Uh, (laughs) so i fit in pretty well at the sportsman's alliance we uh, tend to ruffle feathers now and then and uh, hold people accountable which is something that i enjoy uh sportsman's alliance i've uh, been with for about six years now but I've used them as a resource going back to my ESPN days, you know, tracking what the animal rights movement is doing, vetting different stories or, or checking stats. And so they've always been a resource that I've used and, you know, I've just always been pumped to get on with these guys and, uh, and fight the good fight for hunters and conservation and the North American model. Mm-hmm. So, just outside of that, what's your favorite state to hunt? Oh, geez. <laughs> yeah. Between ESPN and outdoor life, I've got to, you know, I've got to do the entire country. Pretty That's why much. I'm asking. <laughs> yeah. It, I honestly, I can't, I can't say a favorite because, you know, each, each state or each region has such a rich history of its own mm-hmm. and its own culture that, you know, you just get submersed in when you go on these trips and you meet people. And, you know, I've stayed at top of the end lodges and I've stayed in, you know, dirt floor places and, you know, just, it's different, you know, the different foods, the different tactics. And I just love that part getting submersed in it and, you know, meeting people, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I can't say I have some great adventures that stick out, you know, and that would probably be up in Alaska, you know, King Eider hunting. But that's just because that's another level of right and and cold. <laughs> so, you know, that that you, you don't know if you're going to come out of that one alive sometimes, um, you know, so adventures like that are cool. But every part of the country has its own cool culture and history and mm-hmm. tactics that go with it. That's just makes this country so cool. Yeah. That's uh, I'm primarily Western man, you know, and that that's just because it is what it is. Right. I mean, a blue collar nine to five type guy um, that's been my exposure. But when, you know, I have hunted Texas a bit and Texas is kind of its own, yeah. <laughs> its own deal, right? Until you start, you know, looking at like deep South Texas. But when you start, you know, like you're saying, you start looking at some of the traditions and cultures uh, across the country. It's just phenomenal, man. Absolutely yeah. phenomenal. I give the tree stand guys a little bit of guff, but what Western hunter doesn't, you know what I mean? Oh, um, yeah. No, and that's part of the fun, too. Yeah. I mean, like, that's, you know, that, that goes right into the segues in with hunting camp and giving each other hell and, oh, yeah. and you know, poking fun and stuff. So. Yeah, as long as it's in good fun, right? Because, and this will kind of tie into our conversation here tonight. um, Because we do, we do have those, 
hard line divides uh, when it comes to, I mean, just the stupid mess, right? Camos and method of take, things like that. Um, and, and tying that into what we're talking about, I think that's a lot of the problem yep. with the demographic is those divides and and how we're willing to shun one another for it. And and it's hurt us in a lot of, in a lot of senses. Um <laughs> But I'll reel us in. So give us a bit about Sportsman Alliance, um, what Sportsman's Alliance is about and and why you're passionate about it and putting all the time and energy in. Yeah. So the Sportsman's Alliance, uh, we're based in Columbus, Ohio. Um, I work remotely in Washington State, but uh, we're, we're based in Columbus, Ohio. And we've been around since like 1977, 76. And we, the genesis of that was that the animal rights movement, you know, in the 70s, that's when it really started ramping up. And they started using the legislative process to ban hunting. And they came into uh, <clears throat> Ohio looking to end trapping. And that they saw that as low hanging fruit, which it is, and it still continues to get hammered. 40, 50 years later, they're still going after it. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, they ran a ballot initiative, you know, and they figured out that, hey, all we have to do is win the big populated areas and we can pass these laws and use emotional rhetoric. So uh, some businessmen, wildlife uh, officials and, you know, the department and different people got together and they countered that ballot initiative in Ohio and they won. And then everybody went back to their day job, you know, and, but the animal rights movement as they tend to do, they just took it to the next state and the next state and the next state. Well, the guys who ran that campaign started getting phone calls on, okay, what do we need to do to beat these guys and keep these passions going? So they quickly realized that, you know, somebody needed to help this out. And so they, you know, founded what was what's today the Sportsman's Alliance. And essentially, you know, we've come in and we'll run PR campaigns when it's ballot initiatives and the messaging and do the polling to see what messages resound the best and and work on that kind of stuff. We've done it in several states. Montana was the last one when they tried to ban trapping on public land four years ago. Before that, it was bear hunting in Maine. Uh, so we work in three different arenas, and that's at the ballot box, in all 50 state legislatures, and in state and federal court. Uh, so, you know, the state court uh, there in New Jersey with uh, the bear you know, the governor Murphy banning black bear hunting on public lands. We sued along with sports or with the SCI and New Jersey outdoor group, um, sued to stop it there. Uh, when the Obama administration changed the rules of predator management in Alaska. Yeesh, on federal land. Yep. Well, that's still going right. I mean, we're, we're dealing with that this year. Yeah. Yeah. So that'll probably, that's going to be under review again. And uh, that's the Biden team is looking at reviewing that. So that'll probably come up either in Congress or in the rules change process again, if they decide to try to change that. 
So I'm here in the beautiful state of California. Um, and we just, you know, looked at the, uh, the bear ban in the face and you bring yeah. up the trapping thing. I mean, it started here with, you know, pulling our hounds, pulling bait. Uh, we only have a fall season. We can't hunt lions. Um, you know, now the Bob lions Hans. are, yeah. Now the lions are on, uh, on the endangered list, um, which, <sighs> from from my experience in the field right and and i've been hunting california for 20 plus years it's absolute madness Uh, i see more lions uh you know it's no longer the elusive predator right like you'd see one every three or four years it's a common occurrence for a guy to see a couple three every single season um and our you know a lot of our seasons are short i i hunt you know from the early archery season in uh in july all the way through so maybe my opportunities have led me to see more uh, but i'm talking to guys that hadn't seen them and they've been hunting the state for 15 years and they're like oh man i saw one you know here i saw one there uh human cat interactions are are ramping up um and i mean we had the, what, oh, yeah. the guy in colorado strangle one out how do these how do these assembly bills and these ballot measures and and uh senate bills how does this stuff come to fruition i know it's you know it's kind of the house that you know air quote trophy hunting built for the animal rights organizations but how do these things get to the point where they're they're not looking at our side of the argument and it's just push 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 and try and force them through Yeah, a lot of it just boils down to society today. And actually, I mean, a lot of the issues you see nationally, whether in, you know, in the election and everything else is it's rural versus urban, you know, and there's a disconnect. And, uh, you know, the, the guy who introduced the one in California there is the senator for, you know, out of based out of San Francisco. You know, so and a lot of his platform is, you know, DJs and and laws around, you know, big city stuff, you know, why he chose to do this. Who knows, you know, uh, scoring points with that demographic, perhaps, or, you know, I haven't looked in to see how tightly he's tied to Humane Society of the United States. They're behind a lot of this. You know, and you can show, you know, public opinion polls and depending on where those <laughs> public opinion polls are being taken, you know, if it's in San Francisco, it's in one thing. It's in Reading, it's something else, you know, so so that's a lot of manipulation there. But at some point, you know, these guys decide to do it and push it and then it's a fight. The, the polls aren't even real. I, I mean, as as it for the for the amount of time I've been hunting, and for as often as I, you, you would think that if we're seeing the you know this legislation come across or these bills that they're trying to push through and being sponsored you know by Humane Society and whatnot, that that poll somebody has to say, hey, we have to ask this demographic of hunters you know how they feel about these things and it it just seems very biased all the time especially here in this state right Um, oh yeah and it's hard it's hard for most people to understand that there's even hunting or hunters in california (laughs) right they i tell somebody i'm from you're a hunter and you're in california california has great opportunity right i mean we have huge amounts of public land uh but we don't we don't 
we're not a part of that poll. I've never been a part of that poll. No. Uh, when you look at a place like, you know, your state, Washington, or, your, you know, you look, go down and you look at Oregon, we understand that, you know, yeah, okay, Salem and Portland is pretty much running the entire state and then the same for Seattle. Uh, yep. it, it just, it's phenomenal to me that we, that they don't look at, they're su- supposed to serve their constituents. And if their constituents are in a certain area, that's going to include east of the I-5 corridor for you guys. And it's going to include us, you know, that are on the outskirts of, of Frisco and whatnot. Um, it, it just seems like the special interest has their hands so far up that those guys don't flinch or they're misinformed. Um, you know, the way that this bill went down, I was actually shocked. And I don't know with you what it was pulled so fast that one, I was impressed. Um, but it was almost like, let's test the waters. I'm going to put my toe in this and see how it flies. Okay, pull it out. It, it was. It's just the weirdest thing without any information on his part. Maybe I, I don't know. Man. It's so confusing. Yeah, it's, uh, you know. Yeah. Well, two things like we you're talking about the, the I-5 corridor there, and that's basically what it is from Seattle to San Diego is, Damn near. you know, the, the big cities along that corridor are running the shows. And, you know, I will give them the point that, yeah, probably most of uh, Wiener's uh, constituents are downtown San Francisco and urban people that, you know, they really don't care about bear honey. Why they choose to even get into it. I don't know, but how the whole bear thing went down, you know, who's to say what it was that uh, eventually caused him to change it. Was it the online backlash? Was it the fact that, Oh, he actually got some facts. Was it something else? Is it a test for later? I'm sure we'll see it again, but I was surprised that a, you know, that it got pulled so quick and that he, he backtracked on it pleasantly surprised, but still surprised. Yeah. That, that toe in the water, it actually, right. Because, because they get educated every time they attempt to do something, there's a level of education with anything we do. Um, and you figure it out a little bit further. Um, and that's what scares me about it being pulled so fast. Yeah, you know, and then, and then it's, you know, they, they uh, get educated, but, uh, you know, it, all they have to do is introduce it and it's going to be a fight. I mean, it's California and whatever they want to pass, it's gonna they pass. can pass. Oh, I yeah. mean, the, the African import bill last year is, you know, like that when, what's his name, the first governor there, um, Brown vetoed it a couple years ago, that surprised the heck out of us. Like, oh. He actually vetoed it, you know, and then this year it pushed on through, but they delayed it enough in the Senate to keep it from uh, reaching the deadline to be passed. Um, So who knows what they're doing or or what their next what their next move is. But it was nice to see a unified cry come out of everybody. You know, it'd just be nice if we did it before that. Right. (laughs) You got to that point. Yeah. And that and, and that's absolutely. And and. I'm going to shame all of us, right? Because that is a lot of the problem with our demographic, right? Is we're passionate as all get up about what we do. We never want to lose it. But yet our level of action until there's a, you know, a Hail Mary is very null, right? There's, there's not enough going on. I mean, we should be this boisterous 
around the clock, unfortunately, is something that we have to do if we're passionate about preserving and conserving what we love to do. Um, and I'm and, and, you know, by no stretch in the imagination, am I not guilty of what I'm talking about? I, I think we all are to a point unless you were in a position, you know, like you, where we're at the forefront of that fight all the time. Yeah, no, that's that's the uh, it's a bit frustrating, you know, sitting here is it's awesome to see this, but it's frustrating because it's like you can see this coming. We've You know, you can see it coming for years. You know, it just looking like you talked about at the beginning of the show was 1990 mountain lions. And then it's, you know, bobcats, it's trapping, it's bait, it's hounds. You know, it's like they're just cutting piece after piece after piece. And they're like, well, screw it. Let's go try for the whole thing. Try the whole, the bite, the mm-hmm. whole mouthful. And so just a little snack, right. you know, so, you know, it's coming and it's not going to stop there. They're just going to keep going. Uh, you know, Wayne LaPierre or not Wayne LaPierre, <laughs> Wayne Pacelli, who headed up the Humane Society of the United States, you know, he said it back in 1990, you know, we're going to use the democratic process and the ballot box to stop hunting. And we're going to do it species by species, method by method, state by state, starting in California. Now this should be a surprise. <laughs> There's another confusing room, right? So you have this, you know, air quote, and I'm going to air quote the hell out of them, humane society. So when you target these these predator species right the mountain lion the bobcat the wolf um the bear um you are and and i think they're smart as hell right i to me and this is my foil hat burning with it they know what they're doing if you can affect the predator population and get that on a on a hell of an uptick across the board you're going to affect the ungulate population or the prey species population so much that opportunities are going to close down if the numbers aren't there and we can't what we do is a privilege in the state right the state owns those animals it's a privilege if the numbers aren't there if the herd numbers aren't there we will not have the opportunity to go after it so as a deer hunter if you think that bear hunting or lion hunting or bobcat trapping or hunting doesn't affect you you're sadly sadly mistaken these guys are very very calculated in what they're doing Without a doubt, that's exactly it right there. You know, it, uh, that's what gets frustrating when we have trapping bills come up like we have right now in New Mexico and we have in Oregon. You know, it, they take away trapping. They take away, you know, the coyote contests, intensive predator management in a specific area is pretty much what that boils down to. You know, uh, they take these things away piecemeal. The predators go up the ungulate populations or whatever prey species it is goes down and fishing game using science has no choice, but to reduce the tags for hunting opportunity. If that's what it, what it's called for, you know, and a lot of this stuff can get difficult to figure out, but that's kind of where we draw the line, you know, is like, is a biologist making a, you know, good faith, estimate and good faith decision if he's closing down a population it does the science show that does this work if so yeah do it you know we're that's fine that's you know we'll we'll say yeah we'll back the biologist and that if if it's forced because of poor management due to something else now we have a different discussion to talk about but that's where they're going with this and that's where we see a lot of this happen too is kind of a 
backdoor approach. You know, we see it a lot with the dog stuff, uh, kenneling, breeding, uh, whatever else that would make it cost prohibitive to raise good hunting dogs or make it, you know, hard to trade bloodlines, you know, and breed dogs. It's a backdoor attempt to drive up the economics that make it almost impossible then for an average guy to afford them or to afford to get into it. Well, that goes, I mean, that, that to me, like, you know, we have a lead issue here in California, right. And they, and they claim that, you know, that was due to the California condor. And to me, it was loosely based, right. There was no hard confirmed data that I saw that said that that was going to have that big effect. But now if we could take away lead, which is, you know, a cheap metal and these guys have to buy copper or gilded metals, things like that will drive that ammo price up. And we'll, you know, again, a backdoor attempt to push folks out of it. And California has been very successful in turning off their hunters. Um, I think the last few years we've been about a quarter million, like 247 to call it 270,000 licenses sold. I know there's more hunters in the state, but a lot of guys are like, look, I'm not hunting the state because it's ridiculous. Um, You know, I can't use lead. I can't do this. I can't do that. So they go hunt out of state. Um, they're just these people are so good at what they do. Uh, it, it's sad going back to our behavior um, when we just let our guard down and worry about, you know, and I'm again, I'm guilty worrying about I got 286 days, four hours and three minutes. till I leave to, you know, Elk Camp 2021. <laughs> but that's where our focus goes. And. They're they're not going to stop. What did what did uh, I don't know if you know off the top of your head, what did the Humane Society of the United States bring in last year? I know that they're like one hundred and fifty plus million dollar organization a year. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly what it was, but yeah, they they fluctuate kind of between that 150 to 200 million dollars a year. And so it dropped off in the last couple of years, so you're probably down more to that 150 to 175 million somewhere in there. But my god, that's that's huge, you know. With one and, thing in mind. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> one thing and, in mind. And on the front face, it's it says, you know, it's puppies saving puppies and kittens and whatever else. <laughs> But less than 1% of their budget goes to shelters. You know, it's all lawsuits, it's lobbying, it's, you know, pensions and everything else that they have. And they're good at what they do. And they got a lot of money, you know. I mean, they can pretty much put up a ballot initiative wherever they want to, whenever they want to, and have a media, enough media buy to pass a lot of what they want to. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, that, and that's where we're at a, a shortcoming with them. Uh, when we talk about our organizations, I mean, you, you look at their media coverage, right? When you, when you got the commercials and, and people are, you know, I hate those damn commercials where the music is playing and it's, you know, this, yeah. you know, and it's just like, you go to, you know, I'm sure it exists, right? I don't want people to get pissed off at me. I'm sure that exists and I don't want any harm to come to any animal um, no. undue, right? As most outdoors men and women hunters do. But that's, you know, I don't know, $20, $30 a month on their bottom end, when you got people that are donating to this thing, they're writing a check every month electronically and don't even think about it. So that income is just, it is just increasing. We don't have a chance to fight that money by being complacent. 
Uh, you know what I mean? And we're not, oh, yeah. not doing the same thing. I can get a membership to Sportsman Alliance or BHA or Rocky Mountain. It's 35 bucks a year right on the bottom end. I got to choose to donate. And then a lot of it, I'm getting a T-shirt sent or there's a con. And that's the thing that kills me with us, with, with hunters is, oh, man, look at this. RMEF. You know, they sent me this big old raffle deal and I got to put a sticker here and put a sticker there, put a sticker here. But I could choose not to do any of that. But I'm still checking those boxes. You know, I want the bag and the hat and this and that. So that's money out to keep us motivated to do what we yep. should be willing to do without question. And yeah. on the other <laughs> side, these people are just swiping their credit card once over their phone and it's just dishing out that oppositional money. It's crazy. Yeah. You know, and a lot of those people are doing it under the assumption that that's going to help puppies and kittens right. and everything else, you know, and it, it's the same thing with the ASPCA and, and every other they think they're doing something good. And it's, you know, they've been very good at manipulating those names, ASPCA, Humane Society, people think they're helping, they see the commercials, you know, whether it's a general commercial for the organization or where, whether it's a ballot initiative that's very specific to a hunting endeavor, banning traps or anything else, you know, it's a very emotional pull. And an emotion, it evokes an emotional reaction, you know, and you touched on it, you know, they like to paint us as bloodthirsty, don't care, and we're saddest and everything else. It's just not true. There's a difference between animal rights and animal welfare. I think almost every hunter out there is for animal welfare. We want to see more wildlife. We want to see healthy wildlife. We want our dogs to be treated well. We don't want to see abuse. I see somebody abusing a dog or, you know, starving or whatever. I'm upset. Right. But there is a difference between that and then assigning human emotions and human thought processes and legalities to an animal species and then trying to defend that in court and using that as a basis. Like at some point they suspend reality to make their point. And that's the only way it actually makes sense is to pervert actual science and, you know, life basically. You know, you bring up a point there and it, it just it clicked in my head. So you, you have this emotional tie or tug in everything that they do. Well, when you enter that courtroom, that tone has already been set with those people that are in there, right? They see the same commercials and they see the same jargon and, and propaganda, if you will, that they're passing, you know, trophy. I mean, what is trophy hunting? Trophy hunting in the in the sense of the word is dead, but people don't, they don't know the difference. They're uninformed. Oh, they, no, and, and, and that's a, like a known fact. Like we know that there's, there's the research firms on both sides, you know, uh, the ones in the hunting industry have done polling and studies that show that, you know, 80% or close to it of non-hunters support hunting. As soon as you put the qualifier of trophy hunting before that word, uh, it drops down to like 30%. Like they know it. So now just in the last couple of years, you've seen it. Everything is a trophy hunt. Everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Bear, deer, pigs. It doesn't matter what it is. It's a trophy hunt. Barbaric it, trophy hunt. 
Yes. <laughs> I think yes. that's what, what Weiner, Weiner, whatever he said, barbaric practices yeah. of trophy hunting. Inhumane, barbaric. Yes. You know, and everything's suffering, everything's suffering under whatever, you know, climate change or habitat loss or wildfires, all of which is what Weiner, Weiner said, you know, they, they pull in these other things that they hear tangently in the media and the argument, and it just seems to lend credence whether there's actually a, ten, a, a connection or not, or an impact doesn't matter. It's pulling all of these different pieces together that seems to make their argument sound rational and scientific. But when you start digging, there's no science or substance, substance there. I, you know, I, for California, right? And I, I look around in my home range, I'm, I'm literally... 20 minutes, 30 minutes outside of downtown LA to the Southeast. And (laughs) (laughs) so I'm about as urban as you can get. Right. But when I look 30 minutes North of me, you know, I have Angeles national forest. Um, We have good hunting, great hunting. Um, And it, it fluctuates from year to year. And we have piss poor management of the wildlands there. And that's, you know, you see it every year with the wildfires that we have here. That foil hat again, man, that almost seems to be a play in all of this because there's no reason for them not to management. We manage it. We have a forestry department. Everything is closed. They don't do anything. We're, we're paying taxes to it. It, it. What What's going on with forestry, right? I, I mean, that is an adverse effect on populations across the board. These guys won't focus on their lack of doing or their lack of appropriating the funds that are supposed to be there for that management. They won't look at any of that. But again, here we are with this, you know, with the deep pockets of the Humane Society. They'll jump on that and think that that's the rule for management is to stop managing through hunting um ah, ah, foil hat man sorry (laughs) no that's all right no and and that's what they want they you know ultimately (laughs) they don't care you know they, they make this big pretense of caring about animals they don't care even, even even when they admit they want to stop hunting, which a lot of times that's their been their new thing now, is they're like, no, we're not against hunting. We're just against this method. You know, it doesn't matter what the method is. It's a circular argument. Um, but they try to say that nature will balance itself. One, that's a big myth in, in anything. Nature doesn't balance itself, especially with as much impact as we have with cities, towns, farms, and highway systems. But they know damn well that the animals are still going to die. They know this. They, they write it into their bills. And the, the bear one was exactly like the mountain lion one, exactly like everything else. They cannot be killed except with human conflicts by the state. Right. And they made that one worse this year. Yeah, they made that one worse this year with the mountain lion. Um where, you, you know, you have the depredation permits. Um, and now that that's gone, you have to get permission for that. Before it was, you know, take care of it, let us know. Now it's don't take any action. And then we'll tell you what you can do or we'll handle it for you. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. And then with the mountain lions, they're by law, they have to do necropsies on those mountain lions, which 
in the ballot initiative, there was no funding source. So that's coming out of the general revenue for fish and game. And the bodies are stacking up. And we, we have the same issue here in, in Washington. You can still mountain lion hunt. You just can't use hounds. So it makes it a little more difficult. And you're usually killing the wrong ones. You don't have time to study it, whatever. But the state's killing mountain lions left and right. And they just get thrown away. So cut you off. Mean, <laughs> sorry. Cut off the revenue from tags and whatnot, and then pull from revenue to manage something that you are mismanaging on the other side of it. Yeah. Bankrupt the system and break it. And then say, we need a new system. This one isn't working. Or we and don't have the manpower to facilitate this type of hunting season. So cause and effect, the whole, like you said, their circular system, man, it goes beyond their, their circle talking, right? Their, their non-explanation of everything they do. But if you follow that pattern around, it's the same thing. Everything they touch seems, again, they're just, I think they're, they're too damn smart with it. Too damn smart. Yeah, no, they're good. You know, and they have the emotion and they have the voting block of the urban voter who it really doesn't impact them. If it sounds reasonable, they'll vote for it, but they don't have to live with the consequences and repercussions of that mismanagement. Nobody in a downtown, downtown, you know, San Francisco techno club <laughs> dancing at 3 a.m. is going to run into a damn bear. Right. It's the people out in the, out, you know, in Reading or wherever else out in the countryside that are out feeding their cattle or their dogs out there and the bear is going to get them. They don't have to deal with the consequences of mismanagement. Mm -hmm. Well, we're starting to see, you know, and I and I don't wish it upon anyone, right? I'm, and I don't wish it upon the animal. But we're with the cats. We're starting to see um, more interaction with humans. We're seeing um, the bears have been down in you know our, our foothills and in backyards, getting in pools and whatnot for she's years um but with these lions man crossing like the 405 the you know malibu canyon area um you know there's signs everywhere you know keep your pet on a leash why are they doing the mountain lions present okay so how is there an issue if if those numbers were so low how in this amount of time are we seeing those numbers grow so large and they've killed more lions than our tag quotas allowed since the ban. It gets even crazier down there. Like uh, Ryan Sabalo, who writes for the Sacramento Bee and the Desto Bee and stuff, he's done stories on it. And Lake Tahoe, there's bears everywhere. The sows are teaching the cubs how to break into the cabins to eat as a source. And there's a crazy bear lady down there that says, well, you should just let them have the cabin. Like, what alternate reality are you living in that, like, it's one stupid argument to say the bears were here first, but now you're saying, well, yeah, you built the house and it's your cabin and it's your house and your food, but let the bear have it. Well, I was here first, so like I don't know. <laughs> it's absurd, man. I it's so hard, and I think that's been a little well. It's part of uh, the problem I've had. Right? Is I feel like as as hunters, um, we 
there's fads and trends with this stuff. Uh, and, and case in point is the amount of podcasts you've probably done in the last week or two versus the continuous amount of podcasts you should do on a regular basis, not pointing at you, but pointing at the guys like myself that are reaching out when this shit hits. Um, it's not good enough. And, and shame on us for taking that approach. Um, and I'm almost missing my point because my, my head is all over listening to some of the stuff you're saying. Um, but when when are we going to wake up and say, OK, enough is enough and and really start? How do we how do we do that? How do we take an offensive for once? Right. Because you guys are on a on a defensive side when it comes to, you know, all the, the bills and the legislature and stuff that's coming through. It's always and I say, I say always making an assumption, but it's always a defense that we're on. How do we help in that and take an an offensive route as hunters yeah see that and, and it gets difficult there and and you know when when i before i took this job i was saying the same thing it, it gets a little difficult because everything is not everything but for the most part it's legal right so we get to do it they get to pick and choose where to attack and what to try to take away so it, it the, the stage and the the game is basically just set up that way you know, where, where they're going to take it, you know, we can, we can do a little offensive stuff, uh, you know, expanding hunting opportunities, expanding, uh, you know, mentorship, making it easier, reducing these hurdles, which is what we've done with families of field. We do a Sunday hunting back East, uh, different things like that. But a lot of the stage is just set, whoops, so that it is, an offensive defensive type deal. Uh, you know, so that, that makes it difficult. Uh, and as far as, you know, coming in waves, that's just kind of naturally expected because now this is news, right? In eight months, it'll be slow again. Um, but a part of this gets really hard, especially with media and stuff, uh, you know, especially print, but you know, it's nicer now with electronic and podcasts and stuff, we can hit it harder and faster, but these bills are often marathons with sprints in the middle. It gets introduced and there's a big sprint, you know, to get comments into committee. And then it'll be a month before it gets assigned to another committee or gets, you know, moves to the other chamber or whatever. So it's all of a sudden everybody goes back to doing their thing, you know, thinking about turkey hunting or fishing or work or whatever. And then we need that action again. And so that gets really difficult. So, you know, if, if there's something people can do to just make sure they stay engaged or continue to get updates from, you know, us or any of the other advocacy organizations out there, you know, where a bill is at, what's happening with it, you know, yep, you're going to have to sign the petition or call or email more than once because it's going to be in more than one committee if it keeps moving forward. So can you give, give us a little bit of explanation, right? So how does that work once the sponsor, you know, writes this bill up and they send it, how does that whole process work as it moves down the chain into law? Yeah, different. So different States, you know, it'll go through different processes, but it's generally somebody introduces it and there's co-sponsors and then it'll get assigned to, a committee 
and it'll move through that first committee. And then sometimes it'll be assigned to another committee, um, not always. So there's the committee part. And then if it moves out of the committee or committees, it'll go to the floor usually, you know, for uh, a vote. And that will be either in whatever chamber it was introduced. So California was, you know, in the Senate. So they would vote. And again, each state runs differently of whether they then move that exact bill over to the other chamber and it goes through the process again or whether they have to have, you know, uh, concurrent bills going through both chambers that get voted on. And if you get stop it in one, it, you know, it doesn't matter. It's dead. And then at the end, sometimes they tie it back together. So there's the back and forth process. But, you know, it's kind of like if you look at the federal level, just to keep it simple goes into committee, comes out, gets voted on, goes into the other chamber, goes into a committee, gets the floor, gets voted on. That means it was passed by both chambers. It then goes up for signature, you know, from a governor, you know, so then there's multiple pressure points along there, you know, California beer, the bear bill, you know, the sponsor pulled it before it even got assigned to a committee. Beautiful. Perfect. Once it hits the committee, such as the trapping on public lands in New Mexico, we're saying you got to hammer these committee members, you know, hammer them, let them know, let them. And then when it hits the floor, it's call your state rep and your state senator or whoever, start applying pressure. And then from there, when it hits the governor, it's on the governor, you know, and hopefully at one of those pressure points in either chamber or the governor, we can stop it. So, I, you know, listen to that. I think I would rather I wish these fights were on a national level to a point because I think there would be there would be more unbiased opinions of it. You know, you look at California, right? Um, this state has the biggest D stamp on it <laughs> um, <laughs> that that there is. And so that you're not going to get a good unbiased look looking at all of the constituents. You know, it's going to be that they are again, they already have their opinions and their feels out. Um, and then on, you know, w- with the sponsor pulling that the the bear ban, um, that doesn't mean it's over, right? I, I think it, what I read is he has until like the 25th of February to push that back in and it can, it can, you know, go from there. Um, which I, you know, foil hat again, I almost was like, oh, maybe it's a tactic because he was tired of the onslaught. Right. Um, you know, the petitions, the petitions did good. They didn't do great. Right. I think one of them I saw had 27,000 signatures. If there's 270,000 hunting license sold, uh, we barely knocked out 10% of that, uh, which brings up another topic. Um, but it, it's just, man, it's, it's just scary. I never thought in my lifetime, that I would feel like there is a chance for me to lose my privilege as much as I felt in the last few months with it and seeing everything come down. And this last blitzkrieg was an eye opener. And we're not at this point in my head, we're not saving it just for future generations. I still got some life left on this old ticker. We're saving it for ours for a lot of the opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. And, and here's the kicker. Like you said, he can reintroduce it or in the next session, 
or the next session or the next session. It can be reintroduced and brought back up. I mean, we've defeated the same African import ban bill in Connecticut. This is this will be the third time in a row that it has been introduced. We've defeated it twice and now it's back for a third time. They can just keep throwing it against the wall, hoping it sticks. So what do they do in that instance? I mean, I'd imagine that a state like California that that went through is is some level of precedence for them um, to oh, help yeah. with that. Yeah. You know, and, and that's what the Humane Society loves. You know, it, this goes back to the Sportsman's Alliance and our genesis is they saw that as a state that if they could pass a trapping ban, they could take it to the neighboring states. And if you read their rhetoric, that's what they do. They'll say things like, well, only, uh, you know, 12 out of the 12 states in the country allow black bear hunting. And of those only, you know, six allow it with hounds or whatever. What they don't tell you is, yeah, there's only 12 that have the black bears in them. And, you know, that <laughs> they, took, they took the hound hunting from the other six ones. Um, but they love to say it and they love to say their surrounding states all, you know, ban this, that these guys are living in the dark ages and they use this PR and shaming <laughs> to, uh, to try to pressure the uh, politicians and the media eats it up and they use the headlines and the sound bites. That's, and then that's another fight, right? I mean, it, it maybe they're not, Maybe it can't be called outright lying, which I would call it outright lying. Right. But they're they're not telling the whole story or telling the whole truth. How do we call the SOBs out on something like that? You know what I mean? I realize that we don't have the funding. We, we can't go and fight them on on issues that aren't issues that really go into what we're trying to do. But how do we how do we call them out? How do we show what the real face or what's behind the mask? I should say, um, what the hell? I mean, what do we do? What what steps do we take? Because that's that's really in my head where the battle lies for us is taking some type of offensive posture to. To, to help in our in uh, get our story out there, the, the facts in the matter. Yeah. And it, it's it's a long game. You know, it, we need to be talking about this with our sphere of influence now. You know, those people around you who are non-hunters need to understand the North American model of wildlife, how it works, why it's important that we do the funding, that our own actions our restraining ourselves and taxing ourselves is what brought the animals back from the brink after market hunting and destruction of habitat, you know, at the turn of the century. It's, it's a long process. It's, it's a, it's very hard when you get it down into these little microbites, you know, unless they are blatantly lying, like the California thing where they're saying that, Oh, the bears are in danger. Like, what are you talking about? This is pretty easy to prove yep. since 1982, they've almost quadrupled in, in, in the range. So, you know, what, what are you talking about here? We're killing too many. We haven't killed, you know, we killed <laughs> what the quota was. Yep. Yeah. You want me to kill more? Cool. I'll do that. Yeah. But, you know, reinstate hounds and bait. Yeah. <laughs> Give us two know, seasons. So there was a lot of evidence that this bill pulled out fairly quickly, you know, and that was 
you know, pretty hard to dispute. I don't know if that had anything to do with it or if it just was a PR thing the guy didn't want to wade into anymore or what. You'd hope there was some embarrassment because I and just be, giving the guy the benefit of the doubt. Right. And and, and thank yeah. you for for pulling it. But you didn't have the information. You should have never moved forward with it. And that's how I'm going to that's how I am going to choose to take it. Right. Devil's advocate here. And maybe yeah. I shouldn't. Um, what do you what do you think about uh, defining conservation or or how hunters view conservation and what we think of it? Right. Because and you guys kind of coined the phrase huntervationist. But I think those days of I buy a tag, I'm supporting numbers, et cetera, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. That stuff's dead. Right. Um, our explanation of huntervationist or being a hunter in conservation, what that means, I think, is is a little bit weak nowadays. Um, you know, we, and it's, how do I, how do I word that? It is when you tell somebody that you're conserving something, but you're killing something, you have to be able to explain how that entire system works in order to get that message through. And a lot of us either will, you know, and I think we do better now than we have in the, in the past, but a lot of us would get argumentative or we would turn it off or we, you know, go to the full freezer argument and then walk away from the conversation. But I think we need to be able to explain how killing something preserves and talk, conservation and how biodiversity and sustainable numbers and healthy habitat, how that all plays into it. And I think we fall short of that. Yeah, it's, it's tough. That's why I I was kind of saying you have to do that with the people in your life and that you can reach the non-hunter. You have to do that now and have that repeated conversation because when it gets into these snapshots, it's not effective. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't, it's too long of a story to tell. Right. That's the long game you were talking about. Yeah. And and that's, and that, so when you try to get into this and explain it, one, it for most people is very boring and they don't care, you know, Frank, they don't care or, you know, they're just looking for the highlights. Well, it's not, it's not soundbite friendly, you know, and they have a soundbite friendly, emotional. Right. That's a yeah. And that will get the majority of the ink, you know? So it's, it's tough. It really is. If from a PR marketing standpoint that I'm working on, it's tough. And so if you can distill those things down and figure out what the actual, the big point is here, you know, that you can undermine their argument, <laughs> wrap that into a soundbite, do it brother you, you know, got your work cut out for you <laughs> yeah i mean wow. the bear thing quadrupled caught you know the, my whole point was forty thousand bears hunters kill 900 last year and how many bear complaints are there right man you know i mean it, it is literally it and has been right but again complacency an uphill battle yeah. How yeah. how worried are you guys about the new administration and how that's going to affect that fight? Well, that so th- this kind of goes back to what you said, where sometimes it'd be nice to be on the federal level. This is where it's nice because 90 plus percent of wildlife law is made at the state level because mm-hmm. the states, the states are in it. Yeah. And so the only thing that the feds get involved with 
are the Endangered Species Act and the Migratory Bird Act, you know, waterfowl stuff. Uh, and then, you know, we, we even said that uh, our lawsuit with the feds, you know, over the management of federal land within state borders, they don't get to do that. You know, that, especially in Alaska, that was defined in three different federal documents argued on the floor of Congress. And part of the agreement that they came into the union with was they get to manage their fishing game. And so at some point that makes it nice. So, you know, we'll see what happens with the, uh, with the Biden administration, he signed two executive orders that have impacted us was one looking at the rule change that we had in Alaska that Trump made and that we supported. And that's what we were suing for. And uh, under the Trump administration, the National Parks uh, Service rescinded that rule change and put it back to how it originally was. And then the action by Fish and Wildlife to delist the lower 48 wolves he signed an executive order to review that as well. That will either have to go through congressional reversal or go through the rulemaking process again and, and to reverse it. So that both are kind of long processes, you know, he can't just change it. So we'll see, you know, uh, there was an article that said the Biden administration agrees with, you know, delisting of the wolves. Well, that's what the headline said. You read the article, get further into it, and it says Fish and Wildlife said that and defended their delisting. We'll see what happens as the Biden administration takes more control and exerts their views of what should happen, whether that is sustainable or not. That's And that's why it's a little bit scary to me, right? Because, I mean, if I'm, if I'm using California as an example, man, I, I you know, I'm just in fear for my opportunities here. Um, and if, you know, again, as they attack one of their footholds at a time, um, it's just going to be the trickle down and it's, yeah, it's unfortunate, man. Yeah. So, so unfortunate. Um, man, I think we've hit just about everything that I could think of without me just cussing and screaming at this <laughs> point. It, uh, yeah, it, it's man. It's so I, I like I said, I've never been as fearful that I can start seeing opportunities dwindle. Um, yeah, I, I even yeah, thought as far as with the bear ban, you know, like, you know, did I do my part? Yeah, I bought a tag. Did I actively pursue black bears? No, I didn't. They were always an opportunity tag for me less a couple of seasons. And I, I've been wondering how I didn't do something. You know what I mean? It just, you start to think all this stuff when the fear sets in that you could lose it. Yeah, no. And, and they're attacking on all fronts. So, <laughs> you know, it's uh buy the tag and, and participate, but at some level, if you want to save this stuff, you have to get in as an advocate and do something that might be uncomfortable and that's picking up your phone and calling your state rep or Senator or a committee member that you don't know and voicing your displeasure. And it can be a little intimidating. You're calling and, you know, not sure exactly what's going to happen, but you know, they, you know, they say that growth happens, you know, outside your comfort zone. That's That's what's required. If we want to save this stuff is make noise and put pressure on them. And it's how we approach them. Right. And I was a little disappointed um, on on some of the post because there was almost a tax. 
right? And I think it's foolish um, to to want someone to hear your opinion or your side of things, but then you start talking about you're supposed to be smart or you're a senator, you don't know, you know, shit or you don't know this or you don't know that. Um, that's foolish of us. I think it's absolutely that guy could have been like, you know what? Screw this. I'm going to show you what I am and I'm going to stop this. And it's just like we're we're our own worst enemy. It just absolute madness, man. Um, yeah. And then one of the things that I, I want to ask you, so for California, right, I had folks reaching out when they saw it and, they're, you know, who do I get a hold of? So I'm shooting out numbers and email addresses and they were basically being turned away. Um, but I said, hey, I appreciate the phone call. They may not count that number, but just to show that there is support, whether it's across state line or whatever, is hugely important, especially today, that we don't, if we don't hunt Colorado or Wyoming, well, Wyoming's great, right? Because they don't see much of this, um, or Washington or or trap beavers. That's another one, man. How many, there's like four different bills right now uh, in, in Oregon about the beaver trapping. Um, yep. It's hugely important for us to call, even if they don't count us. The more telephone calls they get, the better off we are as a demographic. It's a national issue, not just in your state or where you hunt. This is nationally. So if you think Pennsylvania doesn't matter or Wisconsin, you're sadly mistaken. Well, and that's what the other side does. I mean, they, they swarm this, the politicians with calls from out of state, out of the country. Right. And I can't remember which, who it was, whatever state something was going on. And, and, you know, once they removed all the complaints or all the negatives, votes and calls and comments that they got, it was a comment period. Once they removed the out of state and large portion from Europe, and there wasn't that much backlash within the state. So you know, it's a, it's, it's a smoke screen. It, it shows this. So all it's fair and love and war. <laughs> man, and the damn euros, man, that's the worst ones. Even if you look across social media and uh, they are, they are insane with it. And, and yes, there was hunting opportunities, but I'm sorry, peasants, if the king took your hunting privileges in the 1800s and the 1500s and said you can't hunt the king's land uh, without permission, we have the right and opportunity here. But those guys will pass so much judgment and threats. And even when you approach them rationally and with an open mind, and I'm always I try to be very respectful of someone else's opinion. Uh, yeah even if I don't agree with it, you have the right to your opinion and your pursuits. And so do I. Uh, and those folks, they, man, they, they don't care. Uh, some of the stuff is just like, what in the hell? It's so crazy. I hunted over there. I did a story for shooting sportsman's magazine. I did. I was one of the first to get over there and go goose hunting when they reopened goose hunting. They were the first in, in the Netherlands, sorry. And the Netherlands was one of the first to adopt the animal rights movements rhetoric and they stopped goose hunting in the seventies. You know, there's actually a parliamentary seat called the policy or the, the party for the animals, the animal party. Oh, wow. You know, voices, the opinion in, in Congress, in their Congress, uh, you know, that, uh, of the animals 
of uh, the animal's view on things. You know, and, and they're crazy. Like we were <laughs> different fields, and the farmers are like, "Hey, don't get my barn in the background; they'll burn it down." But we would kill geese in the morning, and we stop at a pub for lunch, and the guys were like, "Hey, can we buy that?" And that was going to be the dinner special for the night. So, like at one point, they're completely regulated, but then on another hand, they're like buying it off of the off of us dudes who just walked in to have a beer and lunch. They're buying it, and they were making that was the special for the night. That's crazy. Uh, migratory yeah. birds at that, right? I mean, okay, you want you want some terrestrial creature, you know, that's sitting on the landscape, but you're gonna you're going to regulate a mi- or or know the opinion and feeling of a migratory bird is uh that's crazy man yeah there uh, it's it's nuts and they uh you, you, what happens though in europe <laughs> happens here that's what's so that's they're, scary they're decades ahead of us in the animal rights movement and that's where a lot of it started back in the 70s and before that so they're ahead of us on the trajectory so what you see happening in europe and if you think that that can't happen here, I guarantee it's going to be here in a couple of years. You guys, again, man, I, I feel for you guys with with the work that you have out in front of you. But I absolutely appreciate it. And, and I'm going to just say I apologize for my complacency over the years. You know, early on, I'm going to say a decade ago, right? We didn't have conservation or, or this idea as hunters that we needed to worry about this so much, right? We were, I don't want to say complacent. We, we were arrogant to a point because it would never go away because this is, Hey, America, right? Uh, the land of the free. Um, but it is, it is crazy to see this stuff tick away in front of us and not, and feel like there's no real action or I didn't take real action when I should have. I'm hindsighting myself and whoever else. Um, but man, now's the time. Um, we have to step up. We got to be more boisterous, but educated facts, right? Respectful. Um, yeah. Throw those caveats in there. Um, so tell everybody if they don't, you know, whatever. <laughs> uh, sportsmanalliance.org. Um, yep. On Instagram as Sportsman's All, I think it is. Yep, Sportsman's All. Real original. Just had to shorten it down because they only let you have so many characters. So, yeah, Instagram, Facebook, Sportsman's Alliance. We're on Twitter, not super active. Um, then uh, Sportsman'sAlliance.org, and it's M-E-N-S, Sportsman'sAlliance.org, you know. Um, so, yeah, just uh, get involved. Share the alerts, call in, uh, you know, whatever you can do. We appreciate it. Across state lines, the whole nine. Yeah. You guys might catch flack from the other side because it's not, uh, you got to get the woo mans in there because it's like, uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, I, they give us a lot of flack, so I'm used to it. <laughs> that's something else, man. I started seeing that come down the pike, man. And I'm not a news guy anymore because I'll, I'll just, I'll just walk away from life in general, watching mainstream media crap. And you oh, see yeah. some of this, you know, woman after a prayer. And it was just like, what, where are we? Where yeah. are we at? It's just, uh, I don't know. No, man. I can't do it. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> uh, the world we live in. Well, I appreciate the time, man. I'm not going to delay this episode. Um, 
you know, again, my complacency is uh, has me fired up. Um, I fell off a little while with spreading the message of, you know, what conservation should look like as hunters, um, you know, and I have no excuses for it. I hope everybody takes a good look at themselves and how they've affected it in positive way um, where they're putting their proverbial mouth and money um hopefully we ramp it up and uh we continue to help you guys fight the fight man but we appreciate everything you guys are doing for us you betcha thank you and thanks for having us on love to reach your audience that helps so uh yeah thank you and anytime you want updates or info just holler yeah absolutely brian i think i uh with that being said i'll probably reach out to you every every three or four months or so do something every quarter so we can keep this message going Sounds good, brother. Thank Uh, you. Thank you. We'll talk to you, man. Have a great one. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Follow Western Contours on Instagram, subscribe on YouTube, and sign up at westerncontours.com. Episodes are available on most major platforms, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. Subscribe, leave us a comment, and don't forget to hit that five-star rating. We appreciate the support, and until next time, lay them down. We spend a lot of time preparing for our hunts and how we fuel our efforts is key. Head over to valleytopeaknutrition.com, helping you perform optimally in the backcountry. Sign up for Mountain Hunter Box on our partners page. Mountain Hunter Box is a monthly subscription box for backcountry hunters. Receive quality hunting gear and camping gear at your doorstep every month. You can select the species you want to hunt and the method of take with three, six, and 12-month subscription options. Use Western Contours at checkout.